May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a prayer. So we're going to pray right now. Would you bow your head? Father, we do ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will help us abound in hope and that you would fill us with that hope so that there would be joy and peace in our living that would connect with our what we say we believe is true. So we will reflect the truth of, of the unseen, and that is that our God is going to make all things new, and he's going to work all things together for good, and no evil will come to the house of your people. Ultimately, it won't touch us. We're protected by you. We're supplied by you through Christ. And so we pray for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, about two months ago when the elders were meeting, they asked if I would do a series on joy. And I immediately said, okay, so you want me to talk on depression? <laughs> I don't know how that works, but my mind works that way because I first think with the, of the problem before I think of the solution, right? So uh, this is what has resulted. We have a, a session that we do on hope, the importance of biblical hope. And um, people come to counseling needing hope. People come this morning needing hope. You saw last week some of the power of hope, the influence that hope has upon us biblically. And uh, some of my favorites off that sheet that you did last week uh, would be First Timothy chapter 4. Verse, um, I think it's not eight or nine, somewhere in there. No, it's a little bit later. Uh, I'm in the wrong chapter. I know. First Peter, First Timothy four, I think it's verse nine, says, "For this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God." So we see that hope helps us to be motivated to labor and strive in a good way to do God's will. Without hope, we can't do anything. And so this series is about, this Sunday School is about feasting on seven particular hopes of the heaven-bound saint. The reason we call it the heaven-bound saint is without hope, you will not get to heaven. Now, we can talk more about that another time, but hopeless doesn't get to heaven. Hopeful gets to heaven, full of hope. It causes you to persevere. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Would you turn there just for a moment in your Bible? Uh, let's go to actually First Thessalonians chapter one, verse three. We constantly bear in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. The hope that we have is an enduring hope. It's a hope that we then persevere to the end. Um, this week you had lots of hopes, by the way. Uh, and we're going to talk about those in a, in a little bit here. If you can look with me at your outline, I handed out a sheet that gives us a basis to start today. And this um, equation that you see there, I am not an algebra mastermind. I'm not a, my wife is much better at this than I, but when it comes to understanding biblical ideas, I often will put them in equations. It helps me kind of encompass bunch of theology in, in a way that I can see it. And so I'm seeing this little equation 
of hope here, the hope equation, as I would call it. Uh, a person and a promise. Hope requires that there be a person who gives a promise, right? If you're going to have hope, someone's making you a promise. Uh, have you ever been told that if you stay in bed when you're little, Santa Claus will come and give you presents in the morning, right? person was Santa Claus. The promise was he was going to give you presents if you stayed in bed. I was told that. Isn't that horrible? I mean, I was victimized by such teaching of Santa Claus. But hope requires a person and promise, right? In the Garden of Eden, you had a person called the devil who was giving a promise to Eve of such, right? If you eat this, right? And you also had God in the garden giving a promise. You can eat anything, but don't eat that. My promise is that you will die if you eat that. So for hope, though, you need a person and promise. Plus, you need a belief and a desire, right? You've got to believe what they're promising. And you must desire it. If I told you this morning, or if we went home and I said, tell your children, if you have children, that, you know, if they will be good, you will give them all the Brussels sprouts they can eat. <laughs> Would that give them hope to endure and obey? No, not at all. So you, even if they believed you were real about that, you know, I believe you're, you're really going to do that. Well, the reality is you have to have a person and a promise plus a belief that they're going to be faithful to that and a desire for that, which they're promised. And that will then lead, that's the arrow there, to hope. It'll motivate hope. And hope combined with action. What do I mean by action? Um, if you have hope that if you're really good, you'll get ice cream. Now, my children just recently have been told that if they will get ice cream, just to give them a little bit of ice cream. Their ice cream, by the way, is, is uh, made with coconut oil. Can you imagine that? Go think about that a while. Coconut oil ice cream. Anyway, they love it. They've been told if they are, uh, um, work on a couple things that we were working on, that they would give them, mom would give them ice cream at night. So they really did well at that. They've been told that if they also do good on some other things, they can get their ears pierced. Now, what they have to be good on is really much, because I'm not planning on getting their ears pierced for a long time. <laughs> but but the, the point is that if they desire what I have promised and believe that I'm going to be faithful to that, desire it and believe, and believe what are they going to do? They're going to do what I'm asking them. They're going to have action if, with their hope. You will be people of action if you have hope. You have, hope has conditions often, don't they? Do promises often have conditions? Yeah. yeah. Hope causes you to meet those conditions best you can. That's why 1 Timothy 4.9 is a key verse. Again, I go back to that. For this we labor and strive. For we have fixed our hope on the living God. We labor and strive is the action. The motivation is because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Now, if you have hope plus action, you know what that will equal? Joy. That's what our theme verse at the top says, Romans 15, 13. Now, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? Believing. So that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, turn to Romans 5. 
I'm giving you a little overview of this equation of hope so that from here for much from here forward you'll be able to look at this equation and understand okay these are the basic elements involved in biblical hope Romans 5 I'm going to start verse 1 but, but you're going to see how hope plus action equals joy it says Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. That means even better things are to come. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Now, this is strange. Why do we exult in tribulation? Because we know that tribulation brings about perseverance. Now, how do we persevere? Hope helps us. To per the hope of the glory of God helps us say, stay in there. You're going to get ice cream, right? You don't want those Brussels sprouts. That's what you're going to get if you don't stay in there. Stay with me, right? I love you. I got a good plan for you. Believe me. Desire what I have for you, right? And so here we have. So we exult in our tribulations because tribulation produces uh, endurance brings about perseverance. It requires it. That's why hope is required. Because suffering is going to happen. Tribulation. And perseverance produces what? Proven character. That means that you have acted upon hope in an obedient way in a trial. Whether it's this or that or the other, right? You have done what is right because you believe good is coming. So you've chose, you have, hope has conditioned your response. It hasn't forced you to do what's right, but it has conditioned you so that you can now do it more fully. Hope is not going to force you to do obey God. Oh, I'm so full of hope, but I'm not going to obey God. That's, that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a conditioner that then helps you say, I will still do this, right? Jesus wasn't sitting there smiling, going to the cross, but he had hope for the joy set before him, right? So hope conditioned him. He still had to make the choice. But the choice is over time. If you do what is right in tribulation, you know what happens to you? You develop character. Because then when tribulation leaves, guess what? You're super spiritual saint, right? You have power now. You're like, wow, this is easy. When good days, I'm just good. I'm perfect almost, right? But you, you develop a habit of doing what's right. You have chosen to do what's right over and over again, conditioned by hope in, in trial, so that now that is part of who you are. You are a patient person, right? You are a thankful person. You're a kind person because you've chosen, conditioned by hope to do that. Now, keep going with me because I'm going to show you where joy comes into all this. So, proven character then produces what? Hope. This more joy. It's interesting. Hope produces the action that then action produces more what? Hope. I was listening to Pilgrim's Progress. If you have never read Pilgrim's Progress, join me. I've never read it, but I've listened to it. I listened to the dramatized version on long trips. It's wonderful. And we're listening to it. And uh, he was in a always in a pickle as the pilgrim is on his way to the celestial city. And they always say, keep your eyes on the celestial city and you won't get off. That's their hope, right? And as he's going along the way and he uh, was talking about the trials and that, and he's, he was doubting if he really had this uh, work of grace in his life. And 
and and how he could endure things. And they said, well, can you think back about how to stir that up, how to stir that kind of hope up? And he said, well, when I think back, and I'm paraphrasing, when I think back about where I started in my Christian life and see where I'm at now in my character, the things God has done in me, it affirms that I am His. It affirms that this work is going to continue. I have hope because I see the character. See, hope produced the character and then character produced hope. And hope will produce what? More character. You see how the joy, you fill with joy in believing and then in tasting things to come. Heaven by the character that's in you. So we have this equation of hope. I have one other illustration to help you understand how hope plus action is uh, evident. It's imminent. It will happen if you have true hope. If you were a illegal alien here today, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know that. But um, <laughs> if you were and I told you you were going to have to go back to, to your homeland, and let's say it was very bad. And you were given an opportunity, though, to get a card. I always call it a green card. I don't think a green card... A green card allows you to come here to work, but I don't think it allows you to be a citizen yet, right? But it, I give you a pathway to citizenship, as is a big word going on nowadays. Um, and you had the hope and you that... I was going to be able to do that for you. Would you just stay in that impoverished country and wait when I'm saying, if you come here, if you come back, I figured it out. I've got a way for you to have pathway to citizenship. You think hope will just sit there on the poverty-stricken country and wait? No. It'll say, I'm going, right? It would not make sense to have. So the, the more hope we have, an understanding of the hope that we have, the more we will leave behind the lesser things and move forward and strive toward those things that are ours in Christ. Well, here we have what I would call on the bottom sheet here, this page, something I would have seen useful for people who struggle, who are coming to counseling, whatever their trial is, starting with this idea of hope. And these are seven in particular that I find easy to go to. Now, I've just finally decided through this class to say I'm going to put them down. That's why I like teaching Sunday school. It gives me the opportunity to actually put down what I do sometimes, right? What I, what I see helps people change. When they have the hope of these things strong in them, then they can be motivated to action. And so we want to feast on these seven hopes through our time in Sunday school from here and in the weeks to come. Seven hopes of the Christian, heaven-bound saint. First is forgiveness. Do you believe that Christ can forgive any sin? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Uh, people who struggle with shame. Wake up in the middle of the night and think about what they've done in the past, right? Forgiveness. The hope of forgiveness. Pretty important, isn't it? In the Christian life. And God offers it. May the God of all forgiveness fill you with joy and peace in believing in that forgiveness, right? So that you may abound in forgiveness, right? 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Believing is receiving in a sense. I don't mean to sound like a televangelist, but the reality is faith is required for forgiveness, is it not? Is everyone going to heaven? No. Only those with faith. Right. And this is hopeful. This is good hope. Faith. Uh, God can forgive all sin. All unrighteousness. Um, transformation is the second one to the right. We'll be talking about that too in the coming weeks. Transformation. Do you believe that Christ can progressively transform any sinful proclivity in you? Ten tendency. A wrong affection, wrong habit, right? Bad reaction, knee-jerk stuff, you know? Can, do you believe Christ can progressively transform that so that if you were a worry wart, now you're a trust wart. I don't know what to say, you know what? You were a, you were a depressed person, now you're full of joy and hope. You think that way. You were an angry person, your reactions were very impatient quickly. And now you're a patient person. Now, would anyone here like to say that they've been perfected in those proclivities yet? You were a lustful person. Let's go there. Now you are a self-controlled person, person who is controlled by the things that are most important, right? Thankful, grateful instead of greedy, right? Do you believe that Christ can transform any sinful proclivity that you have? Well, look at these. Galatians 5.22, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That means you will experience this if you're under the power of the Spirit long enough to experience these results. Love, joy, peace. Tell me the opposite of love so we know what we're talking about and the sinful side. Maybe hate or, right? Lots of selfishness, right? Can God take an angry, selfish person and make them a loving person, right? Can he take, and what's the opposite of joy? Depressed, despairing, right? Can you turn that into a joyful person? How about, what's the opposite of peace? Anxiety, turmoil. Can God take someone who is just ridden with post-traumatic stress disorder and give them the fruit of the Spirit called peace? No, sorry guys, that one's too hard for God. No, the fruit of not Tim, the fruit of what? Spirit in you. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those nine fruits, how yummy are they, right? Aren't those good? Those are good. Do you have the hope of those being in ever-increasing measure in your life that really... There is no end to how patient you could be. There is no end to how loving you could be. There is no end to how uh, peaceful you could be. How self-controlled, how... Oh, isn't it exciting to talk like that? What are we doing? We're feasting on what? The hope of transformation right now, aren't we? Do you think that way? If we don't, believing is what? Receiving, isn't it? If we don't reckon that to us, it won't be ours. Just no more than the illegal alien who's been taken back to his homeland, poverty homeland. No longer, he wouldn't have an opportunity here if he did not reckon it to be true. If he didn't say, you know what? I believed him could help me get here. I'm going, right? I believe it. I'm going. God has said the fruit of the Spirit is these things. 
Strength, the hope of strength and provision. Boy, you may be here today and at times like me need this one more than any. Right? Do you believe that Christ can supply all you need to do His will? All you need to do His will, regardless your what? Temptation, trial, or personal weakness. Do you believe that? Right? Let's set up some big insurmountable ideas here. Let's say that you were surrounded by uh, people who were nitpicking you apart at work and you had the flu, right? And you also were a very forgetful person anyway. And could you in that scenario still fulfill God's will if he strengthened you and gave you provision? Do you believe that? Or are you like the rest of us that don't believe at times? That say, no, I don't even want to go there, Lord. I don't want you to strengthen me. I just want to complain about it. Right? I just want to pray for better weather instead of a better heart. Right? Oh, I don't like saying that always, but it's true, isn't it? That's what God wants us to understand. That Hebrews 5.16 Therefore, let us draw near with what? Confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Strength and provision is what you need. There's other verses that talk about the hope of sufficiency in all things. I like the Apostle Paul that said, in my weakness, then I'm strong. Because God's power is perfected in my weakness, right? Or life and godliness. He's given all we need for life and godliness. Or no temptation is overtaking you, common to man. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able. He'll provide the way of escape. There's so much hope of provision and strength God has promised us, right? Do you believe it? Right? Spiritual influence over on the right. This is big in conflict. Do you believe that do you have the hope of spiritual influence? Do you believe that Christ can spiritually influence any person to change through your obedience? Wow. In other words, you and your obedience does have an effect on people around you through the power of the Spirit. Sometimes without a word, right? Just by them seeing Jesus over time, right? I just heard that Nancy Lee DeMoss has a new book out for women. Good, it's not for men, right? For women, 30 days, you do nothing but encourage your husband. You don't say one critical thing. Boy, they're going to go to hell after that, aren't they? (laughs) I'm teasing. It goes the same way, guys, right? For us. 30 days without complaining, building, edifying, spiritual influence. Do you believe, do you believe that Christ can spiritually influence any person? Think of the worst one in your life. Through your obedience. That's important in counseling for people to believe that hope. Right? Here's what the Bible would say. Second Corinthians 2.14. I, I said go all the way to 16, but this is only 14 here. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Doesn't always feel that way. What do you mean, Paul? Well, this is what I mean. He manifests through us the sweet aroma 
of the knowledge of him in every place. You know why he says sweet? Because it's attractive. Sweet smells attract unless you're allergic to them like me. But sweet smells, <laughs> sweet smells draw, right? Uh, I baked some fish two days ago. I, we stayed with a, a good friend of ours up in Illinois. I baked some salmon. I wanted to bake some salmon. And I thought, you know, they were, they were open to everything I wanted to do up until I said, I've got some salmon I need to bake. And they said, oh, we don't want to fill our house with fish now. Okay. Well, okay. So I went to my grandmother's and did it. Filled her house with fish. <laughs> now, not to make a joke, but she has Alzheimer's, so she probably forgot that I did that. Now. She's forgiven me. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, you want to run away from fish smells usually, right? But if you've got vanilla smells or coffee, coffee, isn't that, mm, there are here, Jay's on that. <laughs> coffee smells, that's good. Well, it says here that in every place, every place where every person is, God leads us in triumph in spreading this aroma. And then it goes on to say in verse 15 that we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, the aroma of life, and to the other, the aroma of death. Why does Paul go into all this? To help us realize you are having an impact when you are the aroma of Christ. The Holy Spirit is on mission through your obedience to draw others to that sweetness of Jesus, right? Not sometimes, not even to what you say. That's why First Peter would, on Book on Suffering, is going to talk about how you can be an effective influence by how you act toward those who are in sin. Wives, a gentle, quiet spirit, even win your husband without a word. Uh, slaves, even those masters who are disrespectful and abusive, you obey them with all respect because this finds favor under God. You were drawn by the wounds of Christ. Others will be drawn. This is the whole theme in First Peter 2 and 3. Spiritual influence. But if you don't believe you're having spiritual influence, you won't have hope of spiritual influence. And without hope of spiritual influence, you won't have action. Right? You will only be able to endure to the degree you have the hope of that. I don't know if I need to do any more Sunday schools after this. I'm covering all of these right now. Okay? Just to let you know. This is the, this is the summary of this. Which really is filling it all. So, Rewards. The hope of rewards. I'm going to do these quick. The hope of rewards. Do you believe that you, that how you fulfill God-given responsibilities on earth affects your responsibilities and joy in heaven? Do you believe that? Let me say that again. Do you believe that how you fulfill God-given responsibilities on earth, think about relationships, all those things, money, things you own, all that, talents, how you fulfill those affects your responsibilities and joys in heaven. Well, I don't believe that. I think it's all equal up there. Well, I want to believe that too. But I've got verses like this, Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful what? Slave. You were faithful with a what? Few things. That's earth to us. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. That's heaven. There are many others. We're going to enjoy it. Isn't that exciting to think about that? Do you believe those rewards exist? God wants you to be motivated by those things. That doesn't sound very Christian. We should do it just for God. 
Yeah, and God says, I want you to do it for me because I'm a giver. And I want you to be motivated that I'm a giver. I'm a rewarder of those that seek me. And heaven's going to be a great taste of all that. Heaven, let's go to heaven. The hope of heaven, not just the hope of rewards. Do you believe that the eternal joys of heaven will infinitely outweigh all temporary trials and suffering that you must obediently endure on earth? What's your percentage there? I mean, is it a 40, 60 sometimes? You know, honestly, you don't always believe that. I don't always believe that, right? Or I would endure better, right? But we're progressively growing, I hope, in the hope of heaven, setting our eyes upon the eternal. 1 Corinthians 2.7, good passage on heaven. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who what? Love Him. Do you see the endurance in that passage? You see heaven being talked about and endurance here, don't you? Those who love Him, God is preparing for them something. Right? The hope of glory. This is the big one. Ready? This is the biggest. The hope of glory. Do you believe the greatest joy of eternity is perfectly knowing and becoming like who? Christ. Woohoo! Isn't that exciting? I just want to feast on that for a while. You and I will be perfectly thinking perfectly, desiring perfectly, doing perfectly, enjoying others who are perfect. <laughs> that is the glory. The hope of glory, isn't it? And by the way, you'll have a new body in, in all that too. Oh, that's, that's, that's not better. That's just an add-on, right? You have rewards, you have heaven, and you have glory. Beloved, 1 John 3 says, Beloved, we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. There's the perfection. Because we will see Him. There's the knowing of Him as He is. We will comprehend Him. We'll know Him perfectly. And we will be like Him perfectly. The hope of glory. Now, right at the center of this, I'm going to humble myself and tell you that when Aaron and I were driving back from Illinois yesterday, I was working on some of this more, and I forgot to look in my Bible to find the reference. So I'm humbling myself, telling you, I don't always know references. I always know approximately. There's a reference that I want right in the middle of that, okay? Because here's the deal. Right in the middle of all those promises is the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, go ahead and read that, Michael. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God. Right, all the promises of God are yes, so that's why we amen to His glory. So the hope of forgiveness is in Christ. The hope of transformation is in Christ. The hope of strength and provision is in Christ. The hope of spiritual influence is in Christ, right? The promise, we could say, of rewards is in Christ. The promise of heaven. The promise of glory. Now, if you turn your sheet over, I want to ask you three questions. Three points. What do you want? What do you want? Salesmen prey upon what you want by giving you hope of attaining it, right? Salesmen. Ads. What do you want? 
What is your hope? Now, hope is also linked to desire, as we said. There's a Proverbs, and I can't tell you where that one's at either. I'm sorry, I'm unprepared with my potential scriptures here. But it's a very familiar one. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Think about this. That proverb is comparing hope deferred with desire fulfilled. You see how hope and desire relate? I desire something. In other words, I'm anticip- and if I'm anticipating that desire coming, I have hope for that, right? But if it's deferred, my desire is not fulfilled and I get sick depending on how much I want it. So what do you want most? What do you want most? What are your three t- worldly top three worldly desires and hopes? Let me give you some maybe symbols and thoughts about what are typical desires and hopes. Body desires and hopes. So if I said body desires and hopes, these are some typical ones. Body desires and hopes. These are desires that become hopes when someone offers a promise of it, like an advertiser, right? What are some body desires and hopes? Healthy. Hey, did you know there's a whole nutraceutical business out there that can be good, right? But, you know, you're not going to find the fountain of youth, but you're going to find some things that help. Perfection, we're one, right? What else? Pain-free. How about long life? How about weight issues, right? You know, you can take things to lose weight and you can take things to gain muscle weight, right? We have body desires. How about this one? We have um, uh, circumstance desires is what I call it. Circumstance desires. Uh, we want perfect weather. We want vacation every day. We want zippity doo da, zippity a, right? That's what we want. I hope for a good week at work, right? I hope. What's that? I want problem free, right? So we set our hope on that happening. How many have a vacation coming? So, oh, she's so sad in here and depressed, right? <laughs> You know how you feel at the beginning of summer? You're thinking, vacation maybe here or there. You're looking forward to that, right? Here's the problem. If vacation, hope for a vacation is not sin, but it's supposed to be a secondary hope, right? You can have secondary hopes become primary hopes. I'm just going to put this down so you understand. And when those secondary hopes become primary hopes, it's sin. When you live for vacation. How many has got a weekend coming? Tomorrow's Monday, guys, isn't it? (laughs) You can also have sinful hopes and desires. I mean, you can desire people to worship your body. And that's why you have these body desires, by looking perfect, right? You can have sinful desires. But even good desires can become sinful if not secondary. So as we look through these, you think, I want you to evaluate. What are your top three worldly desires? Not always sinful, just they try to get primary good ones. How about this one? Money. Money desires and hopes. How many hope they get a raise this year? Is that a primary desire in your life, right? 
Oh, sometimes, right? Depends on who I'm talking to. Depends on who's, whose car I'm driving next to, right? If they got a better car than me. You understand what I'm saying? We have these desires and what money can buy and what money can't buy. And 1 Timothy 6 says, warn them not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. The hope on the uncertainty of riches instead of on the God, right? Firm foundation. One more. Uh, some of us, we may have what we could call emotional desires. We want to feel good all the time. So we may get into drugs and sexual sin and emotional desires, right? We could go on and on. I just want you to say, to come up with your top three. This is your homework, hope work this week. Why this is so important is when we're introducing the seven hopes of the heaven-bound saint, we're also needing to realize these are the things that tend to destroy that hope. These are the things that tend to come in and say, I'm better than that. Put your hope in me. I'll give you a brighter tomorrow, right? And God is is promising more. How much, and here's the second thing, how much do you want what God is promising? Think about that. If you don't really want forgiveness, I could talk till I'm blue in the face at how amazing God's forgiveness is, but you wouldn't have any reason for that hope. If you don't really want transformation, then I could talk to I'm blue in the face about how to go about transforming biblically and you wouldn't put that into action, right? You see how if we're going to study on hope, we're going to have to desire what God has promised. We're going to have to realize that we're going to have to hope in what God has promised. How much do you desire what God has promised of these seven hopes? Bible is repeatedly saying things like set your hope on this. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ, 1 Peter 1. Right? Uh, how hungry are you? We could say it that way. What are you, how hungry are you for those seven hopes? How hungry are you for forgiveness and transformation and spiritual influence in people's lives? Right? And provision and strength from God to make it another day for Him. How hungry are you for rewards, for heaven, for glory? Right? That's what we need to be thinking of as we talk about hope. These seven promises of God are conditional. Think about that as we wrap this up. Those seven promises are conditional. You know what the center condition is? May the God of all hope fill you with joy in what? Believing. Faith is the first condition of all those promises. If you don't believe them, they will not be yours. They won't. If you're not hungry for them, they won't be yours. The condition is you must be hungry for them and you must believe they exist. And you got those two things happening, you're going to be hope-filled as you get into the hope of Scripture, right? And then lastly, this is your hope work this week. Jay, I'm so thankful you changed it to that. That's good. Hope work. I'm going to give, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm going to have to give you this. I don't have it with me right now, but practical biblical meditation on one or more of the seven hopes. That's your homework this week, okay? 
Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time and I thank you for uh, that little phrase at the end of our passage, by the Spirit. That the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, you have to take these truths about your hope and make us hungry for them and make us believe them as we study them, as we meditate on them. I pray, Lord, for a deep work of your Spirit in all of our lives, that we would be revived unto all energy, more energy for you in these seven things, that this hope would help us endure whatever comes. We need that hope, Father. It's impossible for us to have hope without your Spirit, but we must have hope. So we depend on you as from the beginning here as we pray. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.